Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. We're going to be in Psalm 115. So if you have your Bible either on your phone or paper, uh, let's turn there. Psalm 115. And I'm going to read it. We're going to read it section by section. Uh, I'm not going to read it all at this very moment. We'll read it section by section. Psalm 115. Um, As you're turning there, I want to ask you this question. Do you remember the trust game at all growing up? You know, the trust game. I don't know if you did it or others around you did it, or maybe your kids are doing it now, but it's this game, right? I'm not going to do it right now. Uh, But you'd like, you know, you put your arms crossed like this and you turn around and you're like, you got me? I'm going to fall back. And you fall back. And if you have good friends, they catch you. If you have good friends, they drop you. (laughs) Uh, That's usually the way that that trust game goes. Um, What happens usually after, at least when I do, I'm a pretty cautious guy. So I remember doing this, playing this game in my youth. I didn't do it in my adulthood. Uh, In my youth at camp and uh, was really thankful that they caught me. And usually it's like, yeah, high five, like you caught me and there's like joy and you're laughing. And for those who didn't get caught, you're joyful and you're laughing and because they just bumped their head a little bit. That's the trust game. And this game erupts into a type of worship, a type of worship. You might think that's weird. That's not what just happened here. What do you mean a type of worship? It's almost like the same type of thing if you're an Astros fan and the Astros win. It's like, yeah, you're giving worth and affection and joy and hope to an outcome that just occurred. And that's really worship. And this trust game is the input to that. Does that make sense? And that's what Psalm 115 is going to show us today. That worship, us giving affection and worth and joy and hope, what comes from our identity, all of that worship in our everyday life, not just corporately, but individually, is all about trust. Worship is all about trust. So I just gave a definition for worship. Trust, which we will find out and we will tease out together, is this idea of reliability, strength, belief that someone's going to catch me as I cross my arms and turn around and fall back. I believe in the reliability of someone catching me. I believe in the strength of someone catching me. I believe in the ability that they can catch me. This is trust. Worship is all about trust. So worship That's what we're going to see here in Psalm 115. So let's jump in. Psalm 115, verse 1, going to verse 2. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, why should the nation say, where is their God? So what we're seeing here, Psalm 115, a little bit of context. It'll be helpful for us to understand. Uh, Scholars are kind of split. Was this written when the Israelites, the people of God, were in captivity? Or was it written after captivity? Either way, this psalm is being written in this reality that there are people around them that are questioning, where's your God at? Who do you worship? I don't see them. I don't see him. And they're they're, they're being written in this reality of like hardship and difficulty and suffering. 
And so this psalm is meant to be read and sung and worship uh, is meant to flow out of it in this public setting, kind of like this, in the middle of a historical context of difficulty and strife. They've lost identity. They've lost hope. All of those realities are present. And not only that, they're being mocked. (laughs) My God, you can see in this temple over here, where's yours? So they open with this reality, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? You see, if worship is all about trust, and this is how this psalm is going to tease it apart for us. If we're going to get to a place where we recognize worship is all about trust. So worship, we have to break apart. We have to break apart this reality. How does trust work biblically? And then who are we supposed to trust? So first, what we see here is you trust what you behold as ultimate. If worship is all about trust, Psalm 115 verses 1 and 2 are showing you right here, you trust what you behold as ultimate. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, give glory. Glory is this idea of adding weight and effort and fame. It's this heaviness. Ooh, glory we could spend all day on. It's essentially saying, God, you are so unique and different. You're so holy and perfect. You're utterly other than us. And at the center of that is your weighty glory. Like when I let my mind wander to who you actually are, I start to lose oxygen. (laughs) That's kind of an idea of glory. It's not to us, but glory to you, God. So context of what's happening, worship is all about trust. They come out here to say, you trust what you behold as ultimate. Right-sizing, the author of Psalm 115, right-sizing is so crucial to your trust. How does trust work? Well, you behold what you trust as ultimate. You trust what you behold as ultimate. Right-sizing, what I mean by this, is so crucial to understanding this. Have you guys seen the James Webb telescope images? I feel like they've been circulating around, right? Amazing. I mean, I literally, as I was sitting at my computer this week, I was looking at them. I put them, I don't have my phone up here. I put it on my phone, one of the images, because I'm a nerd. And it's like, this is awesome. Like, this is incredible. But why my jaw dropped in that moment was because I realized, like, I am so small. I am so small. You, I don't, sorry, Chris's friend is coming to tell you, you are very small. I needed to hear that this week and be reminded of that this week, that we are small. If you stretched infinity out this way, you would get things that we can't even see beyond the telescope. If you stretch infinity down this way to the molecular level, there's these things called quarks, which we don't even know what they are. We can't even replicate them, but we're hypothesizing that this is what's making up our atoms and molecules. We are stretched in the string of infinity, yet Everything about our life is so self-absorbed and around us, is it not? We are so small and we trust what we view as ultimate. Similar to hiking in Alaska, I got up uh, just uh, seven years ago, I was hiking up this mountain and got to look over in Juneau and just got to see this like, it looked like an ocean of mountains. (laughs) 
I don't even, I have to like cross different geographies and, and land masses and look at my like old science thing, thinking because I have to mesh it all together because I can't even like fully comprehend it. Or it's like when I saw the Grand Canyon for the first time and I'm sitting, I'm standing at the ledge and I'm looking at it and I'm like, I can't see what weed is down there on the, on the bed of the canyon. What flowers are there? I can't see it, but they exist. They're there. And all of a sudden, I'm just getting lost in this expanse. The psalmist is trying to come to you and say, what do you view as ultimate? What are you beholding as ultimate in your life? And let me help you right size for a second because you trust what you view as ultimate. You trust what you're beholding. And when that is in our aperture, when that's shrunk into our focus, it becomes everything about us. And instead of saying, not to us, O Lord, not to us, we start saying, all to us, O Lord, all to us, none to you, because I am at the center of the universe. There's not an in-between with our hearts, with how trust works. Remember, reliability, strength, ability. There's not an in-between with this. It's either we're saying not to us or all to us. We're saying all to you or none to you. There is no happy medium. And God has been pressing into my heart, Tyler, stop fooling yourself. Stop fooling yourself. You worship what you trust. And you trust what you behold as ultimate. So, okay, Psalm 115 verses 1 through 2 is helping us see a little bit how trust works. Let's see exactly how this psalm is commending us to trust, our hearts to move towards how to actually trust what is ultimate instead of what is not ultimate. Verses three through eight. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold. Okay, so first, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. So they're answering this question, this mockery that's happening. Where's your God? My God's in this temple and here and in my home and doing all... Where's yours? And the answer congregationally, publicly is this right-sized moment, just what we said. Our God is up here and he does all that he pleases. Anytime in the Old Testament or new, when we start to view upward, that God is up in the heavenlies, we're trying to, the biblical authors are trying to show you this is his place of authority. He's over it all. God is over everything. Whatever you're worshiping as God is over nothing. God is over everything. Then he does as he pleases. It's a hard pill to swallow for us, but this is proof of his authority. So Psalm 115 right now, we're starting to recognize this reality of like, he is up here in his place of authority. He's, here's his proof of his authority. He's doing all that he pleases. He's sovereign over all. He's orchestrating it all. He's, he's ruling and he's reigning. So they go on. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. They have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but don't smell. They have hands, but don't feel. Feet, but don't walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust them. Okay, so how trust works. You trust what you behold as ultimate. So then how do we start to understand what we should trust or what are we trusting Verses three through eight are telling us you become what you trust. If worship is all about trust, if you're giving worth and love and affection, if your hope is drawn from it, if your joy is outflowing from it, you start to become what you trust. And the psalmist is using almost half of the verses here to try to get us to a place to understand your heart is just making these idols. Your heart is crafting 
this idolatry, this love and this affection for things that are not ultimate. So we see that God is in the heavens. Did you catch it? The foolishness of this? They have mouths but don't speak. They have eyes but they don't see. They have ears, they don't hear. They have noses, they can't smell. They're made in our image, but they are powerless. Yet here is the warning and danger. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. You become what you trust. You become what you trust. So the question in front of me and in front of you, Renaissance, is what are you trusting? There's this whole branch of um, uh, psychology, science, we'll call it science. (laughs) Uh, It's called interpersonal neurobiology. Um, I I told you I'm a little bit of a nerd. I like to read about this in some of my spare time, but it's literally what people are understanding and starting to understand is if you actually just like put some things on your head, like sensors, and you look at the electrical signals of what's happening in your mind, the social connection that you and I have with one another, that we have with people that we love, people that we trust, people that bring us joy and hope, it literally rewires our brain. If you've ever wondered, why do I treat my wife that way? It's because your brain has been wired to treat your wife that way. And the only way to not is through the power of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, rewire your brain. This is the danger of idolatry and why the psalmist of, in 115 is trying to warn us like, hey, you worship what you trust. You start trusting what you behold as ultimate and guess what? You become what you trust. If you're trusting in yourself or you're trusting in others, if you start putting things in the place of God and as if they are running your life as God, you start to become them. Real honest, it's like when my wife is in front of me, in some of our worst drag out dog fights we've had. Come on, married, you know, you know what this is like, right? It's like, I don't know how we're gonna bounce back from this. This feels real dark, this feels real. I don't know what we're gonna do. And she's weeping in front of me and I'm stone cold, no emotion. It's because in this moment, I'm not viewing her for her. I'm not viewing her through the lens of Jesus and his bride. I'm not viewing her in a way that God commends me to. I'm viewing myself and how everything is about me. And I'm fashioning this idol. I'm putting eyes on it and ears on it and nose on it. And it's like a blank stare in the midst of hurt and wounding. It's a real personal example of how this works. Or how we can... And our culture today becomes so cynical that when actual tragedy happens, our hearts don't break. Instead, we vilify. It's an example. You become what you trust. And it's simply rooted in this way. If we were to go back in a cosmic history in the beginning in Genesis, God created us to reflect his image. God created us to be a mirror of him and what is good. We took it away and started to reflect other things We were supposed to become more and more like him as we beheld and and trusted him, but instead we started to trust ourselves and other things. And so we started to be other things. So it's like this, my family and I, we just moved into a home. Um, We had to do some like reconstruction, all this stuff. We we redid the bathroom, uh, the bathrooms. It was like a home built in the 1960s, 
bathrooms were terrible. <laughs> Everything in the house I was like, how did people in the 60s live in rooms? I don't understand. Anyway, uh, but they did, and that's okay. So we got in there, we got into the bathroom, and I, I, we made this like really nice mirror. We put up this double vanity, we got these like nice mirrors on sale at Target. Ooh, thank you, Joanna Gaines. Like, got it on the wall, and it was like outlined by wood. Okay, so imagine me bringing you into my home to give you a tour. And I bring you into the bathroom and I'm like explaining how we change the lights and explaining how we change the, the knobs on the, for the water and the shower and all this other stuff. And we get to the mirror and I'm like, hey, check out this wood. And I'm like, all right, stand back. Look at how clear this mirror is. And you stand there and you look and who's staring back at you? Not you, but Chris Hemsworth. You know, Thor, muscular guy, right? <laughs> who's staring back at you? And you'd be like, Tyler, that's Chris Hemsworth. This is not a mirror. This is like a poster. What is wrong with you, man? And I'm like, okay, move aside, move aside. And I stand there and I'm like, no, that's me. I know it's a silly example, but we do this all the time. <laughs> we become what we behold and it twists in weird ways. Because all of a sudden, I'm now like, we're, I'm picking on Chris Hemsworth. I don't I have a dad bod, that's why. <laughs> I'm like, man, how to be muscular like him, right? Whatever that is for you, our reflective abilities, our creational capacity to reflect the goodness of God and to worship him are askew and broken. And we reflect all of this, what was meant to be good, but is now twisted. As one theological writer used to say, that is evil, good things twisted. So what we see is that we are putting things in the place of authority of God, things that we're fashioning that can't speak back to us, that can't hear us when we pray, that can't hear the chaos that, that, it's, that it's creating, that can't smell the smell of relational death or actual death, that can't feel the pain or the tears when we're wiping away from the pain of that, we're fashioning these realities in the place of God. Money ooh, is one of them in my own heart and life. I'm like putting it right there. And then it starts to make all the decisions of my life. It does as it pleases. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. And as we're going to see in verse 17, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. The ultimate reality and destination of our idols, of our idolatry, of what we are trusting that's not God, that's not ultimate, but is so finite and so small and so powerless and so worthless is death. It's the very things we ultimately become what we trust. If we're trusting in anything, anyone other than God and Jesus, then we will be dead and silent. Who's worshiping there? No one. Silent. No song. No hands lifted. No claps given. No bless you, God. No prayers for others. Nothing. So how else does our trust work? You trust power. Not only do you become what you trust, you trust power. Verses 9 through 11. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust the Lord. He is their help and their shield. 
So what we're seeing here in this passage is this diverse congregation. It's the whole people of God, Israel, then the priests, the house of Aaron, then anyone else that's around that says, hey, if you trust or fear in this God, in this Yahweh, this singular God, then listen, trust him. He's their help and shield. What this stanza is, this is like a song that we just were singing. It's like a repeated refrain, right? The help and the shield is trying to cast everyone's remembrance to Exodus. God's powerful saving work at the Red Sea. When all hope was lost, God spoke in that moment, the sea was parted, and the greatest existential threat to God's people, which was the people of Egypt and Pharaoh in that moment, were swallowed up in the waters. He is their help and their shield. He's trying, the author of the psalm is trying to say, hey, if you want to know where to move your trust, trust in power. But we have to recognize something. We trust in power, but we're trusting in things that are not powerful. Are you starting to see the contrast and juxtaposition that's happening here in this psalm? We can't, if worship is all about trust, then we got to name what's happening underneath the shadow side of our worship, that we're trusting in smaller, lesser things. It's something like this. You trust power. Do you have friends that like to name drop? Like, I am that friend. You might be that friend. <laughs> I remember like a year and a half ago, I was in this group of people and we were like talking about like the celebrities we'd seen. I don't know. This is foolishness, okay? I'm like being real honest with you guys, letting it all out in the open. Um, we were talking about like, oh yeah, I saw this one celebrity on Hollywood Boulevard or I saw this one celebrity on the streets of Colorado and all this other stuff. And I was like racking my brain. I was like, have I seen a celebrity? <laughs> I felt this like innate thing of like, oh man, I haven't really seen anyone important like that. That's, that's kind of a bummer. Like just this idea of power, right? It's like everyone was just getting caught up in this emotional moment of like, look at, look at all the people that I've seen. It's like they know them. It's like they're now getting like this, this like uh, strengthening in themselves of, okay, yeah, because I've seen a celebrity, it's like I know them, we're best buds. <laughs> this connection to power, it's so innate in our hum, human heart, we love it. And I literally blurted out, Mario Lopez. <laughs> Does anyone know Mario Lopez? See, literally nothing. This is nothing. Uh, Saved by the Bell. I think he hosts a show extra. I don't know. Anyway, Mario Lopez. I literally was like, I saw Mario Lopez tape one of his episodes of Extra in LA one time when I was there. And they all just stopped and looked at me. I was like, cool, Tyler. <laughs> cool. But what's happening in that moment is like, I'm, I'm getting swept up and lost in this reality of like, I love to be next to people that I think are powerful. We all do. We all love name dropping. <laughs> and the reality is we were meant for it, but again, a good thing twisted is evil because it's not, it's not God honoring. We were meant to be next to it. But imagine this. This is actually power. I'm reading this book called Notes from a Tilt-A-Whirl. It's a wild book. I'd recommend listening to it more than read it. Um, literally this philosophical book that's trying to get us to look out in the creation and be like, look at what God is creating. Look at his wonder. Look at the world around us. Trying to get to this point of God is so powerful. And there was this part in this book that I was just blown away with. I literally was in HEB with my boys weeping a little bit because I was just like, whoa. He was like, you know the tree in your backyard or your front yard or the favorite childhood tree you've had that you climbed? That tree is not like a remnant of God's creation. It's not like God spoke tree and it's here and then he left and it's gone. That tree is in existence because God is still speaking it in existence currently right now. 
We just can't fully hear it and can't fully understand it. And if he were to stop speaking that tree into existence, it would no longer exist. That, my friends, is power. I can't do that. Can you do that? I can't. Mario Lopez can't do it. (laughs) No one, the most powerful world leader, the most powerful government, the most powerful military, no one can make the tree in my backyard keep existing the way that it's existing right now. No one from infinity, past, present, and future thought through it in every intricate detail, just like he thought through every single tree in intricate detail. That is power. And that is who the psalmist is trying to say. He is our help and shield. Trust him. Trust in that power. Don't trust in this lesser power. Okay. You trust riches. Okay, so we're, we're, we're exploring this together. Worship's all about trust. Worship's all about trust. How does our trust work? Well, you trust what you behold as ultimate. So we're starting to see this comparison. What are we beholding as ultimate? What should we behold as ultimate? Well, you become what you trust. So let's move to the right place. You trust power. You trust riches. Verses 12 through 15. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. Okay, so count with me. One for bless. One bless, two bless, three bless, four bless. Okay, small and great, let's call it five bless. Increase, six bless. 15, uh, verse 15, blessed by seven bless. Seven references in three verses about blessing. And in this part of scripture, they are talking about actual material wealth. They're talking about the land that they're supposed to have, that God promised to them, that their people, their their wealth would be so abundant and multiplied for the purpose of bringing him glory. We trust in riches. But the beauty of this is that there's a rich, there's a richness. There's There's something coming that's far beyond the material. But we have to recognize that we trust riches. God's blessing, as we're seeing here, is always flowing from and toward his redemptive purposes. So he's saying, hey, remember, the Lord has remembered us. Anytime remembering, he's trying to get us back to Exodus, trying to get us back to, hey, I've saved you for the purpose of my glory and his redemption. God blesses both small and big. So we can't be confused by our Western mindset to say, oh, we're blessed if we have so much. There's this... uh, if you were to look 60 years ago versus now, houses that are being built, it's like a 30 to 40% increase in the smallest house. Like we're just building things more and bigger than we did before. Because we think that that is actually better, that that blessing is better. But what God is saying here, both the small and the great, both the small and the big, that big isn't always better. I know I'm speaking to Texans. I know that, but big is not always, I'm a Texan. Big is not always better in God's economy. That's what he's trying to say. It's the reality that he is blessing us. God made everything, so everything is his. Did you catch it? May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. Again, his rule and reign over all authority. So if we're trusting riches, do not let us, me, get confused that we're trusting in our ability to get those riches. They're all God's. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything that comes to us, for us, from, is from God. Both good and bad, both small and big. My favorite movie growing up uh, was Richie Rich. 
guys seen this movie, Macaulay Culkin? It used to be a comic in like the 50s too, I think, or the 60s. I loved this movie, and the reason why I love this movie, and I still love this movie to this day, is he had a McDonald's in his house. You guys remember that scene? He literally was going by, and he was ordering, it was like a full-functioning McDonald's in this mansion. He had so much money in the world that he could have a McDonald's in his home. And as a kid who grew up really poor, I was like, I want that. That seems cool. <laughs> I grew up so poor. And when I see that, I'm like, oh man, then there I am. I'm going to make it. You trust in riches. But when we trust in the riches instead of trusting in the giver of the gifts, we're losing our heart in this. And we're going to start becoming what we behold. I, I know inflation's real. I know it's tough. But if we start trusting in that stretching, instead of actually recognizing that God gives everything, that God in this moment sought it to be good for us to go through inflation. God over everything, right place of authority, right rule and reign, actually designed it this way in this very moment to go that direction. Can you feel the anxiety start to go away a little bit? This is what the author, in the, uh, Paul, who authored 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, says in verse, uh, chapter 5, 16 and 17, rejoice, always give thanks in all circumstances. This is how you start to reorient your trust from riches to him who is the giver of all riches. Give thanks for all circumstance. Highlight, bold, italicize all, not just the good, but the bad. God, thank you that I'm having to pay $80 to fill up my minivan right now. <laughs> thank you. Because I trust you more than I trust this. You see how worship starts to erupt? It's what the psalmist is trying to get to, toward. Trust, trust, trust. Worship is all about trust. So you trust what you behold is ultimate. You become what you trust. You trust power. You trust riches. You worship what you trust. So worship Verses 16 through 18. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. <clears throat> but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. So what's happening here. It's been a steady cadence of, okay, let's, let's break this out a bit. Don't be an idol worshiper. Ult worship the ultimate one true God. Don't worship... Um, don't become like your idols. Become more like God. Don't, uh, don't worship power that's lesser. Worship power that's ultimate. Don't worship lesser riches. Worship the giver of all because he's gonna, he's gonna bless beyond your imagination. You worship what you trust. So where is this going to? Did you catch it? The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. See, we've been in this like high, uh, high altitude, low oxygen reality. And now he's getting it real earthy. Worship here and now. Worship here and now. Worship's all about trust. You can trust God now. Worship him. Worship here and now. Worship him because you're not dead. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. The good news is it's not too late to turn away from idols that's not your ultimate, that doesn't have to be your ultimate destination. And because you have breath in your lungs and able to make sounds, you can worship him because you're not dead. You're alive. Worship. Give worth and affection because you trust him. Worship him because you will live forever worshiping him. 
Did you catch it? But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. That infinity string that I was talking about, that stretching from here to here, that will be what we do forever. We will worship him. We will give him glory. Why? Because of Jesus. You know what's crazy about this? Ooh, the psalmist in 115 right here, as they're doing this, they don't even know that he's coming. They're having to worship this God that feels kind of out in the ether. There's been some personal kind of reality, the burning bush, the parting of the Red Sea. There's been prophets who come and all those different things. But what's about to come is Jesus, God in the flesh, incarnate, coming down to prove all of this right. So for us, so what? Worship is all about trust. So worship, how do you do that? It has to start at the point of Jesus. So if this is your first time hearing this, trust in Jesus. If this is your hundredth time hearing this, keep trusting in Jesus. It's a daily choice. Just like I'm daily waking up to love my bride. Like she's daily waking up to say, I'm committed to you and I'm gonna love you. Jesus, I'm committed to you and I trust you because he is ultimate. No other human in history has ever risen from the grave and never died again, but he has. He's ultimate. He's worthy to behold. I've heard it said this way. If you take all the best personalities of everyone in this group, if we all got together and we had a big meal and we were having fun and all the merriment and festivities and all that stuff, the best parts of us that made that reality so amazing is all found in him. It's like the best party ever, but bound up in one person. (laughs) That's what it was like to encounter Jesus. That's what it's like to encounter him. He's worthy to behold. He's the perfect human. He's the perfect everything. And as we place our trust in him, we're going to look more and more like him. Chris Hemsworth is nothing compared to Jesus. (laughs) Jesus is good and perfect and beautiful. He's powerful. As I said, not only is he the only human that's ever conquered death, but I'm pretty certain he's the only human that's ever actually been able to have another human, Lazarus, come out of the grave by the sound of his voice. In John, when Lazarus is risen, it sounds, it, the original language is almost like Jesus boomed. Lazarus, come out. No one has that kind of power, but Jesus. No one is as rich as Jesus. He's filthy rich. He's got an infinity of McDonald's and an infinity amount of houses because God has said that he has given him everything. He's put him in charge of everything. He's bestowed every spiritual blessing to him. And guess what? Ephesians 1 and 2 says, every spiritual blessing is bestowed to him is bestowed to you. This Jesus, he's delightfully available to you here and now and far beyond our imagination in eternity to come. He's doing this in the deaths and the life, in the hard, in the bad, in the anxiety, and the joy, in the depression, and the energy, all of it. He's doing this in these moments. He is, and he is right there in the small and in the big. Unlike your idols, Jesus has a mouth and he speaks. Unlike your idols, Jesus has ears and he hears your cries. Unlike your idols, Revelation 21 says that he's gonna wipe our tears. He has hands that actually feel. Unlike your idols, he has feet that nails were pierced through for you and I and our sin. Unlike our idols, his throat isn't closed up in silence. It's loud and life comes from it. He's speaking life to it. 
And unlike your idols, if we become like him, we have life. We don't have death. Worship is all about trust. You get to trust him. You don't have to trust the lesser things anymore. You can trust Jesus. So worship. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rin-church.org.